Hi everyone, and welcome to Motherhood Designs, a podcast about balancing all aspects of life as a mother. Join me, Gabriella Dokus, each week as I sit down with a different guest to discuss how they've designed their own version of motherhood. You can also follow at Motherhood Designed on Instagram or motherhooddesigned.com. Today I'm talking to Leah Melby Clinton, the co-founder of InKind, a biannual print magazine that covers the intersection of style, careers, and motherhood in a beautiful, relatable way. Leah has a long career history as a fashion editor and writer, having worked with several Condé Nast and Hearst publications, including Elle and Cosmopolitan, and she still works full-time in fashion writing and digital content. In addition, she's also the mother to two young children and is a living testament to the fact that you can always find time for what you're passionate about. I loved her candor and reflection about work, motherhood, and everything in between. Today's guest is fashion editor Leah Melby Clinton, the co-founder of InKind Magazine. And whether or not you've heard her name before, it's very probable that you've read some of her articles and publications like Elle or Glamour. So Leah, I'm so happy to have you chatting with me today. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I'm joining a very cool group of women. So excited to kind of uh, be one of them. Yeah, there's been some great guests and uh, you are certainly among them. InKind kind of came on my radar, I think, through social media. And I I love the concept of it. Um, Like I think I told you, I got to borrow a friend's copy and I think the magazine is just so beautiful. But in doing research for this episode, I really kept being amazed when I was, you know, looking at your LinkedIn, looking at your social media, um, just by everywhere you've worked and your creativity on Instagram and everything that you've accomplished. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation. Thank you. (laughs) So to get started, um, could you just kind of give us an introduction where you live, how long you've been married, how many kids you have and their ages, and I guess anything else that you think is relevant about your childhood or maybe your earlier years? Yeah. So I live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I'm in Yardley right now. We've been here for about a year. Um, I grew up in Florida, though, so I am not from this part of the country. Um, I've been married for eight years, um, and I have two children. I have My daughter is turning three this fall very shortly, and then I have a two-month-old. So we're kind of back at the beginning with the second baby, which has been interesting how so much comes rushing back and then other things are like I have no idea I remember none of this and I think I mean relevant kind of from early years probably I would say two things maybe that shape a lot of how I work and maybe how I parent or look at family life is I was raised by a single mother my parents got divorced when I was young um, in like first grade or so and then also I danced really seriously which I think is um, probably true for you know anybody with you know playing sports or anything kind of it just I think that that informs so much of dedication working at something and probably just your work ethic and I think especially with dance or ballet it's just a lot of right repetition you have to love what you're doing and it's kind of you just do it I think that really informs a lot of everything kind of yeah, definitely. It's interesting you brought up those two points, the single mom and the dance, because I do think those are very, they, they bring out specific traits um, and yeah. specific work ethic. Um, everyone I've talked to who was raised by a single mom definitely has a lot of appreciation for the work that motherhood entails and um, oh my gosh. putting yourself it's, last a lot of the time. I feel like every, probably everyone to your mom 
some point, maybe when you hit teenage years, that's when they start kind of telling you, like, you'll understand this when you have kids of your own. And like, mm -hmm. you knew that you're, you know, that that's a hard job or whatever. But then when you have kids, it's like, oh, I can't imagine doing motherhood or doing parenthood or whatever by, you know, without mm -hmm. a partner. I just, it, you know, now you're like, oh, I get it. This is what she was talking about. How in the world did you make this work without kind yeah. of a support at home? So makes you appreciate things for sure. Yeah, it really does. Well, it sounds like you had quite a role model um, throughout those early <laughs> years. So I'm curious about your career path. Um, like I touched on, you've, you've worked for so many incredible publications prior to becoming a mom and as, since you've been a mom as well. What was your career like up until you founded InKind? Um, and I know you do, do still work full time, but kind of <laughs> before all that happened. Uh, well, so I was always wanted to be a magazine editor um, from, I don't know, you know, age 12 or so when you kind of start to get a conception of what you want to be when you grow up in a, you know, more serious way than sort of princess or ballerina or whatnot. Um, so always wanted to do that. I, you know, it's what directed the college I went to. I, my degree is in um, journalism with a focus in magazines. So very kind of from the beginning had a straight path and a focus in that regard. Um, my first job was at a, it's now folded, but it was at a magazine called More, which was for women over 40. It was not sexy. It was not cool. But I think, you know, even when I look at that, it was this first great lesson in like, you get your foot in the door somewhere and that, and then you make an impression and then you network and then you keep building. But like, you know, yes, that wasn't as the glamorous first job I would have wanted in that world, but it really was so instrumental, I suppose, in kind of getting you launched into glossier, shinier, sexier things. Um, the editorial world, I think, you know, we all kind of move around a lot. So it's a lot of connections. It's a lot of keeping your eyes and ears open for the next opportunity. I was um, at L two different times, I guess. And the first time I was thinking, you know, it was really when print versus digital was still, you know, the shiny kind of platform and websites were just like, <laughs> frowned upon stepsister no one wanted to talk about it I think I was there when Instagram started and I still remember how it was such a free-for-all like we'd go to appointments and your bosses were like just take a picture post it to Instagram and now it like makes you cringe to think of how careful yeah. we all are and brands are and the fact that it was just you know a 24 year old posting some random shot to Elle Magazine's Instagram account blows your mind a little bit um, so just kind of, you know, went around different publications. I was at Hearst, Condé Nast, like you said. I led up our um, digital, you know, online fashion writing. Just kind of learning to be agile, fast. You know, your deadlines are quite quick. Uh, being able to write and create, you know, a lot of content. The volume is really high with digital. And then went back to Hearst. And then um, I decided to segue into branded content within the Hearst umbrella, which was probably the one of the most significant, I guess, career um, switches for me. And I was really fascinated by the idea of using content to, to make money, right? Is if you kind of saw subscriptions were shrinking, like advertising was shrinking, how are you know, these things we love so much, magazines going to make any money, and really kind of getting in on what felt like sort of the ground level of that. So I would deal a lot with working with, you know, with and on our editorial team and then handling brands that came in and said, we want to tell this story. We want to support this collection. What's a story you can do on Elle and Harper's Bazaar, Pound and Country? that feels fitting for that editorial platform, but also our brand and achieves these KPIs that we have. And so it was a great marketing 101, a real great education. It was something I enjoyed a lot. And I think it, it felt like this job where you're like, oh, this is something I'm good at and I like, and it's challenging. And I like that it also feels like it could kind of 
take me places, I guess. So that was kind of a big switch. Um, I've spent a little time after that in fashion startup world, kind of, you know, a small team, small company, really helming a lot of their content and how that bleeds over uh, into everything you touch. And now I handle storytelling at Ralph Lauren. And it's really just, you know, I think it's been this belief, right? If brands today have to be 360, I think you have to have an editorial arm and a voice, but also really, you know, have people that want to shop the product, but want to hear from you. They want to read what this brand stands for and cares about travel guides or cocktail recipes or whatever, you know, you can just kind of live in it, fully immerse yourself in a brand. And I think content is just part and parcel of that so much. So it's kind of been an exciting part of my um, full-time paying career. And then it's also, I think, informed a lot of what we do and kind of the tenets of in kind, you know, thinking it's not just a print magazine, what are all the different arms kind of we want to extend and grow into? And it's interesting, right? We look back and you're like, oh, it all fits together pretty well. It kind of makes sense in a way that you maybe didn't expect when you were living it. Yeah. And what an interesting time to be in magazines, like you mentioned, the kind of the switch. I mean, it's been in the last 10 years, really, the switch from Absolutely. print to digital. I mean, I remember it being in high school in the early 2000s and you know, loving to go to the airport because I could always buy all of the magazines and read them and... Um, you know, going to, for instance, L.com, and it was kind of like hard to navigate. And it's like, you're like, what am I looking at? Like, what, what's the purpose of me being here? And in the last 10 years, there has just been such a shift. And it's almost like, I think people look at magazines that way. Yeah. And I, I mean, that the first time I was there, too, it's when the editor in chief was in charge of everything. And so you really had people who like, you know, fashion directors, that like what you're saying, looked at the website, and it's like, what is this? And you're like, listen, you know, very fancy, very chic fashion director, people want to read about the 10 best dresses under $100. Like, I know that makes you cringe deeply in your soul. But this is the internet. So it was, it was really fascinating. I think you still see it changing a little bit. Yeah, and digital has democratized fashion and... Oh my gosh, <laughs> wildly so. Um, so with all these amazing places on your resume, you had Margot, you had Hearst, you had Condé Nast, um, you're now at Ralph Lauren. Was there ever a period of time when you thought, I don't have kids yet, it sounds like you were married for part of that time, but not all of it. So did you ever think, you know, this is my time to lean in, this is my time to make my mark professionally, and then maybe be able to take my foot off the gas a little bit when I do have kids? Or was it just foot on the gas all the time? Yeah. And, you know. <laughs> I think probably kind of the latter. It's, you know, interesting where I wonder if you could go back, would it have been helpful or um, practical to like try to think about it more in those terms? you know, and it doesn't, doesn't matter, I suppose, how it's all said and done, really, but it it is fascinating. And I think there's a part of me that would have wanted to have kids a little earlier. I think my husband was very much like, you know, I'm building my career right now. This is not the time when I want to have a baby and like have young children at home. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of something, right, that we were always in communication about that affected when we decided to start trying to have kids. And I don't know, you know, life is what it is, and it works out the way it should. I can't imagine any other way. There's a part of me that you do wonder, oh, if I'd had my kids earlier when I was a bit more junior, that right now would be even easier to lean in really hard to this period of time that is so intense, whether that would have been, you know, perfect or ideal. I We chatted with someone actually for the new issue of the magazine, and she said her mentor told her your 30s and your 40s are just the most insane because like your career is heating up, your marriage is heating up, you probably have young-ish kids that it's just so much, everything's hitting all at once. 
that it's a lot, you know, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I think there's a part of that that it's like, if you could have taken any of that away and done it earlier, would that have been helpful then? But, you know, who knows? But then you wouldn't have your exact kids, too, is what I always tell myself. <laughs> exactly. I, I think you touched also on a really interesting, I guess, problem that a lot of millennial women deal with, which is that there's there's never a perfect time to have a kid. And, no. you know, 50 years ago, the, the perfect time to have a kid was as soon as you got married. <laughs> and now we, I mean, we have the luxury of, which is great, you know, you can actually decide when to have kids and say this is the right time for me. But it also gives you all of these what if thoughts, you know, what if I'd done this? What if I'd done that? What if I had had kids earlier? Or what if I hadn't had kids for another year? So that that choice does kind of create some mental anguish, I think, for, for <laughs> women. You had a lot on your plate already professionally um, <laughs> when you decided to start in kind. So what made you decide that having a creative project, and we'll get into a little bit more about what InKind is about exactly, but what made you decide that having this creative project and this this creative outlet that was your own was worth it? Well, so I started in kind, it started, started, started as something I called a liazine that was during the pandemic. It was one of those things you suddenly had extra time on your hands. I had segued out of editorial work and really missed interviewing people and writing and kind of having a story idea and being able to explore it. I missed those things. So I thought, well, I'll just do it on my own. So it's the liazine was deeply DIY. I like built it in Photoshop. It is not <laughs> anywhere near the quality of where we've gotten to within kind, but it was fun. And it was, I think also maybe 25% like a self-marketing project. You know, I sent it to former colleagues, friends, industry connections, kind of thinking like, hey, I'm still here. I still got it. Because <laughs> I, you know, in my head, I was like, maybe I want to go back to editorial work. So it felt like mm -hmm. partly just a pure passion play and then a little bit strategic. And then in seeing the response from people I knew, but then also people I didn't know on Instagram, reaching out and saying, can I buy this? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you want to buy this thing? Like, you haven't even seen it. Like, trust me, you don't want to buy it. You know, it was fascinating. I was kind of like, oh my gosh, maybe there's other people out there who are hungry for this kind of content. It's not just me. Perhaps there's a business idea here. So that was, I think, an important part of deciding to start it. And then actually, you're, when you chatted with um, Juliet from Gusta Embroidery, I feel like mm -hmm. she talked a little bit about this idea of having a passion project to kind of pour your creative like juices or energies into that really resonate with me because that was a lot of it too. I think mm -hmm. if you're a creative person, it's all like bubbling around in your head and heart and soul. And you're like, where do I put this if you don't get to do it in your job? Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was really helpful to kind of have something that essentially felt like a hobby. And in a lot of ways still, it feels like it's just a hobby. So deciding to move it into something else, you know, happens step piece by piece, little by little of just, yeah, I guess realizing, huh, maybe there's, maybe there's a thing here. And I feel like the litmus test that I like to use and I'll tell it to friends or anyone else, if you were, you know, an heiress and didn't have to work a day in your life, would you still want to be doing this project? You know, and if the answer is yes, yeah. that's A, I think is fantastic and tells you you're onto something, but also then like do it. If you really, when you love it that much, it's just worth it in all the ways for like your soul's happiness to <laughs> be kind of corny about it. It's just, it's really great. If you have an inkling or an itch to do it, it's just so worth it. It's a good way to put it. I like that a lot. Tell us about InKind, how you got the idea for it. I mean, you just kind of came up with a little bit of it, but how did you crystallize the idea and make it something concrete? Um, what do you guys cover today? So InKind is, um, right now it's a printed magazine, obviously. We're kind of, like I said, extending past that to really just be about conversation, curiosity. Um, it felt like there was a hole in the market 
honestly, I suppose, firstly driven by me of like, I just couldn't find content I wanted to read. I would pitch also, I guess, interesting, like editors, my editors at, you know, Elle or Bazaar, I have this story idea about X, Y, Z, and they could say to you, you know, I love that, but no one will click on it. And I think that, right, we know that Hannah is my partner, you know, she and I both worked in digital media for so long, you get the game and there's nothing wrong with it. But SEO is so important, clicks are so important. So like you could have a great think piece about career and ambition in your 30s after you've had your first baby. But if, you know, no one's going to click on that as much as like a story about a Kardashian or Meghan Markle. And so it kind of gets shunted to the side and you're not seeing that stuff on websites. And so it felt like, huh, where is this stuff I want to read? So that's kind of where I think the genesis really came from. And right now, I'd say the sort of tent poles that kind of lead us forward are the things that honestly in our own lives, in the women, in our friends, our family, the women kind of in our cohort professionally, you know, it's a lot of career, it's a lot of motherhood, it's a lot of personal style, um, some relationships. So whether with partners, with sisters, mothers, you know, family, friendships, and then the personal passion part of it that we've talked about of kind of, you can be a mom, but like, you sh I don't think, you know, 100% of your focus should be on your kids. But I think there's so much value to yourself, to your children, to your partner, when you still have time to do things that you love that make you you. And I think we often as mothers, you sacrifice and give and give and give and give and there's nothing left for you. So I think about reminding people to not do that to do the things you love and that make you you. Um, and then sort of helping to foster it, I guess you're hoping people will pick up a magazine and think, Oh, I've been thinking this exact same thing. It's well put. And you're right that there is such a market for it. I, I actually wrote down something from your your website itself um, that you have in your about, which is women who know that life has continued to become richer and more rewarding and the challenges they bring, but also haven't abandoned themselves. Women who still see the person they used to be, who know she is worth investing in and loving. And it's so true. I mean, it just really just speaks to what you just said about you know, we're, we're better mothers. Um, we're better partners when we have something that we're passionate about outside of our children, because as fulfilling as motherhood can be, it's also <laughs> really draining. There's a lot of give and and not a lot of take so i hear you <laughs> that's a good way of saying it too not a lot of a lot of give and not a lot of take and it's like we'll talk about it you know my my partner my husband with that i'll talk about it with anybody we can talk about it it's like this idea too of at this age now when we're adults have our own kids and you look at your own parents it's been interesting to think about well what kind of parent do i want to be when my child is in her 20s when they're in their 30s and i think for us it's felt a lot of like i still want to be interesting and have my own passions you know i think mm -hmm. looking at people in my group in my age group who have relationships with their family and parents that i really admire or just think is kind of like that's the ideal it's because those parents have things on their plate that, you know, that they love doing, again, whether it's a career that's fascinating or they just are like, they love their garden and they love, you know, their tennis team or whatever. That's where I'm like, oh, I want to be that person too when I'm, I don't know, 65, let's say. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense to you at all? Or does that sound crazy? No, it does not sound crazy at all. I think it's, <laughs> it's great for your kids also to see you be passionate about something yeah. that is not them. So it's it's important for them to realize that, you know, even the people that love them the most are, are going to have their own hobbies and be their own people outside of mom and dad. It's a valuable lesson. So in creating the content for InKind, how do you decide what topics to include and, and who to reach out to about those? 
Is it something that you pull from your personal life? Like, for instance, we're having this conversation about, you know, passions and motherhood. Do you go out and find someone who can speak to that for the magazine or does it come Do people pitch to you or what does that look like? Well, I'd say so content probably like story ideas kind of come quite naturally. I think it's it really is honestly the things that you're struggling with or thinking about having conversations on. You know, I think it's reading other things, listening to your podcast, you know, things will pop up or I'll hear a guest say something to you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've wondered that or struggled with that, too. And then I'm like jotting things down in my notes app. And then in terms of the sources to kind of build it out, there's a little bit of pitching, right? If, if someone comes forward with a client or you know someone behind a brand that has an interesting story, that's always, honestly, I think the trickiest in a way that we're still figuring out of kind of how you dig out sort of interesting backstories. Because you used to be able to do that, I think, a lot when more in-person meetings or market appointments, you'd get to know someone and kind of knew like, you know, this person's an amazing designer. And, oh, and I also know they struggled with fertility. Like they'd be great for this story. But kind of when you're only seeing a pitch, no one's going to be like, and on their personal note, they A, B, C. When I'm like, that's kind of what I need. So that's um that's a little tricky with pitching. I think it's probably more, it's like these sort of connections, you know, that we're having or that you make with people, you know, that's the best part of Instagram is frustrating as social media can be. I think meeting people where you feel like you just have this, like a virtual Rolodex kind of that gets really rich fairly mm. quickly of people who are fascinating, you know, and have interesting viewpoints and an interesting different maybe perspective to share on something. So a lot of it's been people you just kind of, you know, meet and like in the back of your head, you're like, they would be really fascinating to talk to about thing X once it pops up. Yeah, it's so true that Instagram and social media in general, I mean, it gets bad rap. And I, I had this conversation with Juliet. So if someone's listening, and they might remember this conversation. <laughs> there's, there's so much trash on the internet. There really is. I mean, none of us can deny it. But when you find someone great on Instagram, and you really enjoy following them, it becomes so fun. And you really do get so much out of it. And the beautiful thing about it is that frequently those people are nothing like you. Um, they live somewhere different. They have a different career. Their family might look different. Their background might look different. But it's you get so much out of just following them. And it really has kind of blurred these lines between all of us um, in a way because we can just meet people on the internet. And you don't have to be in the same right. geographic place for it. And, and I think, too, I don't know if you've experienced this. I think that really the community of female founders, it's a really gracious kind of generous sorority of people where I think that that's mm -hmm. also been I'd heard that you know from other people or kind of when I was working at Margo and chatting with our founders so much but I almost didn't believe it I guess and then now to kind of see it it's really encouraging and lovely too just the amount of people who are you know want to support other women working on their projects want to give you advice and tips and like aren't shy about kind of opening up a playbook so we're actually in this new issue that's coming out we have a story about self-promotion and how that's really hard, I think, for a lot of women. It feels very like, look at me, look at me, or you're asking people to subscribe, you're asking people to give you money, and it feels so, like, a little bit. But, like, I know that's crazy, you know, that what we're all doing is creating something, and we all get it, and I'm happy to, you know, listen, subscribe, give to other people, but when it comes to you, you're like, that people are going to think I'm obnoxious or ridiculous. And so kind of even tapping into those people that have been, you know, brought into my network to say, how do you do this? Because I've wondered it, I need this help on my own. And so there must be other people out there, other readers who are thinking the same way, like, how do you, you know, tell yourself that it's necessary? What are successful ways you've done it? How do you get over that feeling of like, God, I'm so annoying by asking people to just sign up for this thing. Um, so that's an interesting. 
I can relate to that just with, with this little venture. <laughs> Have you found any tips for doing that? Or are you still, is it something you still struggle with? Well, we, I mean, yes, I think it's a little bit of, you have to like, get over yourself a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and remind yourself that you do it for other people. It really doesn't bother you. And I loved, um, we chatted with Natalie Steen from the Not Note for it. And I, the one thing that really stuck for me from, she was again, so lovely, so giving, so generous. And the thing I thought about a lot was she was, when she was segueing kind of from doing her, um, you know, platform as a part-time passion project gig to a full-time thing, where I guess she asked herself, like, what would I rather be doing this, you know, like sharing a picture of myself or working on like corporate mergers and acquisitions or, and it was just so like, well, I'd rather be sharing the picture and video of myself, even if it's a little uncomfortable or makes me feel cringy, that's what I'd rather be doing. (laughs) And it's kind of like, oh, okay. So if you want to get to this place, you have to do that. And I think that that makes sense and kind of, we can probably all relate to it in some way too, in, in whatever your business or project is. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something about and inherently about the way women are are told to behave too that I think contributes to that that we're like, (laughs) not allowed to inconvenience people. It's a good reminder. Thank you for that. Yeah. So you have all these things on your plate. You're working full time for Ralph Lauren. Um, You have two children, (laughs) and you also have in kind. So what does your day to day look like um, between all these, these balls that you're juggling? Um, How do you manage getting everything done? And what support system do you have to help you accomplish everything? Okay, so I think partly, it's that I maybe the first and foremost important thing is like the getting it done, how many things for me, and probably a lot of us can like shift to tomorrow's to do list, you know, that like, it's not the end of the world, like giving yourself some grace and kindness, like if this doesn't get done, nine times out of 10, 9.5 times out of 10, it's fine. So I think that that's probably important. I love a good to do list. I'm very dedicated to um, (laughs) my sin, like daily planner, and everything gets written down. And when it's done, I highlight it. And I'm very committed to this. And then my day to day, though, so I told you I have a two month old, so I'm going to be I go back to work next week, uh, my full time gig, and I will be using some um, of the leave benefits to be off Mondays and Fridays. So I'm really excited to kind of use those days to both be with baby a little and bond some there, but also have those kind of some extra time to focus on in kind or, you know, personal things. I think that will be mm-hmm. helpful and interesting to see what that's like. Um, our, my daughter goes to school five days a week, which has been the best. She's very independent. It works really well for her. She loves her school. And then with our baby, it's a combo of a nanny who's coming a few days, and then my in-laws live close-ish, so they help with him. So definitely, you know, asking for help and trying to kind of carving out those hours to do your work. Um, I would say, obviously, my full-time job takes up kind of full-time working hours, and then the extra stuff. It's just about, you know, when you love it and when you enjoy it, it doesn't feel like it's work to be doing it at weird times. You know, if it's mm-hmm. very much like when, if, you know, you nurse the baby in the morning and then he's back down, if there's a little bit of time to do some in-kind work there or ditto at night, you know, the kind of off hours. Um, I think it's also being really flexible, honestly, about where you work. You know, I have so many lists and I'll start copy on my phone. I'll start copy on an iPad. I have I can't even tell you the amount of times recently I've been pumping with like my iPad out. <laughs> it's like not a pretty sight, right? Of trying to like multitask, but it works. And I think it's like finding these pockets of time and kind of not letting them go to waste is also just kind of part and parcel when you're doing something on the side and you have to make it work. 
I have to say, I mean, just just with starting this, you know, we all do the thing where you want to sit on your couch at the end of the day after bedtime, and you half watch something on TV that you probably don't even really care about, and you're on your phone. And I have started to replace that with, you know, doing things with the podcast, with editing, with, you know, creating blog posts, with creating social media posts and it's sometimes I'm like oh you know it's one more thing to do at the end of the day but it, at the you know going to bed I feel so much better about it than having sat there and watched tv not to say there's not a time and place for that as well but when you are passionate about something when you want it to be successful you carve out the time and it's worth it and you see that immediately you know you feel the return on it immediately um absolutely I, I think yeah Moving into some kind of fun and more style-related questions, because you do have such a great background in fashion and in style. You have such great style. Um, It's so fun. You're always, you know, you show your commuter outfits. You talked recently about how you can twin with your daughter. And everything is, it's not too perfect. It's not too curated. It feels very real. Um, And your captions are also always great and kind of make me smile. So how has your style evolved since becoming a mom? Well, I think for probably a lot of us, I bet too, right? It coincided also with COVID happening where you were all of a sudden not going to an office and not needing, you know, or having other people to impress, or you didn't have to think about getting outside your house, getting on a train, walking to an office building. So I think they kind of happened simultaneously where it's hard in some ways to extract one from the other. I, I do not, I'm not here for com- uncomfortable shoes. You know, I love a sneaker. I love a clog. I'm wearing clogs right now. I hate dry cleaning things. So I feel like I always need like fabrications and pieces that I aren't dry clean only because that would drive me bananas. So I think there's a comfort level to it. But at the same time, I, I love clothing, you know, and I think it's, I'm confused when people think jeans are very uncomfortable. I like when people who just only live in leggings, like I'm not going to wear leggings unless there's a workout involved. And if I'm working out, I'll like leave them on for whatever's happening. But other than that, like it's just as easy, it's easier to put on a dress than to put on leggings and like a shirt. And I think with fashion, since becoming a mom, I think if you love clothing, if you love style, it's felt like such an important connection and thread to like me pre-babies or like even, you know, we're talking about then kind of like who I am, that I love getting dressed. I love, I love how it makes you feel, how it kind of can like conjure an emotion or a scenario in your own head. You know, I think that the psychology of fashion has always fascinated me. You know, it's not flippant and it's not silly. It's how we, the very first thing and the, you know, most outward facing way that we tell the world, we tell others who we are, what we believe in, what we like, there's nothing silly about it. Um, And so it's felt so important to not I just think I I wouldn't feel like I was myself if kind of my wardrobe had changed into being like, I only wear sweatpants or leggings. So I think it's mostly in some ways just more crystallized this love I have for clothing of what feels like me because I need to feel like me more so than pre-babies, pre-kids. Um, but that comfort is also just very important. Well, I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier too, about things you're passionate about and still retaining that side of you, even after becoming a mom, even after having all these competing priorities where if, you know, looking nice and, and wearing clothes that are, you know, express your personality is important to you, then, you know, you should keep doing that after becoming a mom. Right. And we've talked to like we, Hannah and I, and maybe the passage of kind, we both kind of wrote something on that. And hers was a little more, I think she's segued. She felt her wardrobe is segued into more of like the comfortable, really easy stuff. Whereas mine, I still love, I love like a long skirt. I love something. If I can walk downstairs and like see the hemline of my dresser skirt, 
like tumble after me. It's just the best <laughs> feeling. Like I love that. And, and I think, right, it's exactly what you're saying. Either is fine. You know, it is fine if you are all leggings all day, all the way, that that's your right and your prerogative. But like, also don't feel like you have to do that. If you love your clothing and it brings you joy, put it on then. <laughs> yeah. And beautiful things are meant to be worn. You don't always have to save them for for a special day. You can wear them on a Tuesday if you feel like it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Do you have do you have any brands that are favorites or, or daily staples? Um, I've got this is I mean, I guess it's kind of a daily staple. I've gotten very into Dorsey recently. Um it's they she does a lot of like it's lab grown gemstones. And so she really and we chatted, she's doing something for the magazine. I wrote about her for Bazaar. She makes, you know, tennis bracelets, tennis necklaces, and kind of these great lab grown stones. So you don't feel guilty. You can pop it in your cart and buy it right now and wear it every day. But the quality is really nice. So that also mm -hmm. fascinated me as like an industry that needed disruption where you're either looking at, you know, a tennis bracelet, which is going to be pricey, feels a little bit out of reach for most or a lot of out of reach, I guess, for most people. But then like, if you wanted to, you know, say like, fine, I'll do a CZ version. It was such crap, you know, like this clasp never stayed and it looked right. gaudy and it was just like well this is ridiculous and I think what she did was so fascinating of going in and making it out of like it's you know they're white sapphires it's silver it's gold it stays clasped so it feels like it's a fun new way to do costume jewelry that I think we've moved away from with our fast fashion world yeah it's that bridge between you know the forever 21s and the uh Tiffany that's cool I'll have exactly. to, I've seen the ads but I haven't checked them out so I will have to do that where do you look for inspiration professionally, um, sartorially, as a mom? Are there any accounts you love to follow, magazines you love to read, um, podcasts you listen to, that kind of thing? Um, I have fallen back in love, I guess, or deeply in love recently with Gucci Westman, who I know is not like an under the radar follow at all, but I feel like just recently I was like, I love her. I love her aesthetic. So I've done that thing where I feel like you find someone who you love their thing and then you're like way back on their feed like a you know, yeah. creeper so she's someone I think recently that kind of just you know as a mom as a business builder as just her aesthetic it all feels so unstudied I really really have loved following her recently um podcasts I would say I love um second life pod second life podcast mm -hmm. has been interesting about also you know a lot of women building businesses they're usually I think a few they're pretty established, which has been nice to kind of learn from what people are doing. Um, and to then also just feel inspired to kind of take some takeaways, to feel like you're not in it alone. That's been something I've loved listening to. I would say reading wise, my, uh, my magazine stuff is probably pretty just not frothy, right? But I love a Vanity Fair. I love New York. I just kind of love, I love long form journalism in printed form, like the things that I don't want to read online. That's what's felt really special. And especially I think with having young kids, it feels like such a luxury too, if you can carve out a time to sit there with a printed magazine. There's something to be said for content that is meant to be sat and read versus content that can be digested as you are spooning the yogurt into your kid's mouth and killing five minutes before the doctor's appointment or what have you. There's just something different about the way we approach it. It's so true. I totally agree. What has been the hardest change about becoming a mother and what is the most rewarding one? Okay, well, I was thinking about this earlier and I feel like it's kind of, I hope it's not too like Eeyore-ish, but I think it's missing, I'm missing my friends a lot. I think motherhood, right, is in some ways, it's so universal, like we we're saying, it connects you to so many other people, but also it's deeply lonely. You know, I think that that's something I have to get better at probably is, is staying connected with good close friends. 
but that I think is the hardest part is it's just like your time is really given over to your family, to little ones. And you, right, you add in, then I think for all of us, you layered in the pandemic too, but it's like, I've, we've been away from my kids for a few nights at a time, but like my own little kids combined with my best friends also having little kids, it's like, will, will we all get to go on a girl's trip in 10 years from now? Like whenever will we get to do what we did pre-kids? And so I miss, I miss that a lot. And I think the most rewarding part is it's it's fascinating when you kind of realize that like you made you made this person right is is yeah. fascinating and rewarding. But also even like our so I told you our daughter's turning three. I think as she I don't love newborn stages. So it's been when that toddler kind of hits where they're funny and they can talk to you. It has just been the best. Um so seeing her personality and then also realizing that you have someone who you are the coolest person ever to them, mm. I think is, it sounds a bit um, self kind of focused, I suppose, but that's been really rewarding to realize that like you are, you're responsible for this person, you're their everything and how much they think you are great and cool. It feels really special. And it kind of like what you're saying, it makes all that hard work, I think worth it, right? That finally there mm. is more, I guess, take in that way too. You gave so much and now you kind of can take sort of some of that. It's such a special relationship has been really nice to feel as she's gotten older and can kind of give back more. It really is. There was an article recently, I'll have to find out, I don't even remember where it was, but it basically spoke to that about, you know, the difficulty of having young children is also the most amazing part, which is you are their everything and one day you won't be. Um, yeah. And it's, it's hard, but it's also a privilege. So I hear you. So last question. So shout out in kind and your accounts. So where can listeners find you uh, both in kind and personally? So we are on Instagram at InKindMag. Uh, my personal handle is LMC Shops um, because I have a deep shopping problem. And like you said, love sharing clothing and accessories and such. Uh, the site is InKindMagazine.com. So you can subscribe, order back issues there. Um, we have a few like choice stories from the past that we've posted online so people can just kind of understand what we're all about. Um, and we're also just launching uh, an account on Patreon. So we're at Patreon.com backslash InKind. Um, that has been, I mean, <laughs> just getting it going, but I'm really excited to kind of use that as a platform to sort of share even more and like behind the scenes of the magazine, excerpts from interviews that don't make it into stories some personal stuff. Um, so I think that'll be a kind of a cool new way too of expanding the universe and sort of getting to communicate with people and, and bringing Han and myself into it a little bit more than really are in the pages of the magazine. That all sounds great. And I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been fun. Um, I'm chatting yes. about all this. I loved it. Listeners, you can check out InKind on Instagram at InKindMag or order print copies at InKindMagazine.com. Like we said, the content Leah and her co-founder Hannah publish is so thoughtful and really meant to be consumed in print. Her personal Instagram account is at LMC Shops, and I love following the snippets she shares of her daily looks and life. Finally, the link to the in-kind Patreon is included in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It really is the best way to support motherhood design, and I am just so appreciative of you listening and doing so mentioned earlier you can also follow along at motherhood designed on instagram 
or motherhooddesign.com for more info about guests and spotlights on other mother entrepreneurs. Thank you so much for tuning in today and for your continued support. And until next time, take care.